Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. You found the place where we talk horses. I'm your host, John Hare. And on today's show, we have an old friend of mine, Michael Canfield of Lucky Star Horsemanship. Michael and I first met each other uh, way back in 2014, maybe even 2013, when we were both working, trying to learn the Down Under Horsemanship system. Michael's gone on to move to the East Coast now, and we're going to hear all about his life on the other side of the country. Good morning, Michael. How are you doing today? Good morning, John. Great to hear your voice again. You too. It's been a long time. It's been eight or nine years since we've uh, seen each other. What's been going on? <laughs> Way back when, when we were all playing with, with the Down Under Horsemanship Method, you know, we had kind of a, a lot of things going on. At that time, I was doing a lot of rescue horse work, uh, working with our local rescues and, and rehabilitating horses and helping them find good homes. In 2019, a family member got pretty sick, my mom, um, and I ended up moving east. Uh, life, the universe, and everything just kind of aligned itself to allow me to, uh, to do what I had to do to help a family member out, to help my mother out. In the, in the process, coming across country, I ended up, a buddy of mine had traveled with me. He didn't want to make this, the, the cross-country trip with a horse and a moving van and everything alone. I came across an ad on Craigslist, of all things, for a dude ranch in New York. Huh. Now, of course, that made me laugh out loud. You know, I'm like, a dude ranch in New York? I've got to go see this, right? So I had reached out to them uh, on the trip over, ended up setting up some appointments. Within a week of being out here, I was the, their director of equine programming and their marketing director all at the same time. Oh, and wow. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. Um, they had a herd of over 70 horses, 150 suite hotel, two nightclubs. I mean, it was, it really wasn't a quote unquote dude ranch the way that we're used to them on the, on the west side of the country. It was more of a guest resort. And so a lot of what I did was training horses to be good for guests who have never, ever ridden to get them ready to be on the trail. And, you know, with 70 head of horses and multiple different personalities of each horse, it was definitely an interesting challenge. And then on top of that, I was developing clinic and lesson programs for absolute novices, folks who had never sat on a horse before, but really wanted to experience the old West, as it were. Um, so we were introducing a lot of the, uh, what I call the foundation skills for, for horsemanship. And it just kind of blossomed from there. When you got to that dude ranch, Michael, how were the state of those horses? Did you run into behavioral problems? Physically, they were in pretty good shape. Behaviorally, yeah, a lot of them had some behavior problems. And I think really in, in my heart of hearts, I felt like because there wasn't the consistency, we talked a lot about the four C's of horsemanship being in a connection, communication, control, and confidence. And then there's a little sidebar that says, oh, yeah, and you need to be consistent, too. The horses weren't really experiencing consistent training or riding. So my job was to kind of come in and always get them back to a nice base level where they could just be good for a variety of different guests. So that was definitely challenging. We had a lot of young, young wranglers, folks who loved horses. They had a minimum level of experience with them. And so I was training people and training horses at the same time while developing programs and, and making things entertaining for our guests. Wow. Pretty fascinating. And are you still with that? No, that, that ranch actually closed Memorial Day of 2022. I left a little bit earlier for another opportunity. I had, had a, a previous guest reach out. She had a facility in Long Island. And on Long Island, you have to say on Long Island, not in Long Island. 
needed someone who could develop what she was trying to say was a Western riding or Western lesson program. And uh, I said, well, I'm not really going to teach a, a discipline. I'm going to teach general horsemanship. And so that's what we did. So we trained their trainers to work with a general horsemanship program. I built a lesson program up to a point where they were, you know, we were doing 15 lessons a day from all age brackets, from eight and nine years old, all the way up to 70 and 80 year old senior riders um, and at all skill levels. And those horses too also needed handling. The humans needed to be taught, but the horses did too. Again, with that kind of consistent approach to communication and helping them out. Right. And, and so is that what you're doing today now? Actually, no. <laughs> well, it's been a long time. There's a lot. There's a lot that has transpired in the eight years since we've seen each other. That was going to be a six-month contract, and in that time, I was teaching a lot of clinics all up and down the eastern East Coast. Those really came about from guests that I had in the past from the the Dude Ranch, and then uh, individuals who were taking lessons with me, but also wanted to expand that out. In that time, I also reconnected with, with Kogi, the owner of Equine Affair, and uh, she had invited me out to be a presenter. We were there in 2019. I actually was there presenting for the, the dude ranch that I represented. And then in 2021, we, after COVID kind of slowed everything down, but in 2021, we were back out there again. Um, and this time I was presenting as, as Lucky Star Horse Pacific. And really, that's when things here on the East Coast just kind of exploded. Once that got rolling, um, it's been kind of nonstop ever since. I think a, a big part of that is we have a certain communication style. You know, we're, I'm pretty laid back. Uh, I think I'm a pretty clearly spoken individual. And I work with a lot of different people and different horses. And it just kind of caught on. And along the way, uh, a lot of individuals, uh, other professional clinicians who um, I've admired over the years became friends here on the eastern part of the United States. And uh, it's become this network of us sharing what we know, helping one another out. If you remember way back when, I think 2019, we did, or excuse me, 2018, we did a thing in the West Coast called Equus Fest. And uh, mm-hmm. in 2021, and then again in 2022, Teresa and I put on Equus Fest East. And uh, we featured clinicians, we had vendors, we had entertainment, educational opportunities, and that's really getting our name out there a lot as well. So we've got our our fingers in several different pies right now. Refresh my memory. Did you learn horsemanship while you were on the West Coast, or had you been involved with horses before you you came West? No, I was actually, I was nine years old. My grandparents had a friend who used to breed and train Appaloosas. My grandfather being a, a guy who was a city man, but he loved the country. He thought, well, what's a good thing for a boy? It's probably to have a horse. And long story short, they ended up doing everything, everything I would tell my clients not to do. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> they, they bought a colt, uh, actually it was a filly, sight unseen. It hadn't even been born yet. And then every weekend, they would take me out to this breeder trainer's ranch, drop me off on a Friday afternoon and come pick me up on a Sunday morning. <laughs> and you can't do that anymore, but uh, back in the... <laughs> You know, you really can't do that anymore. But back in the day, uh, you know, I'd spend the weekend learning from this individual. And when that little filly was born, I was there and uh, was taught some imprinting methods and things like that. And it kind of just blossomed from there. Um, eventually, sadly to say that 
the little filly about a year, year and a half into its life got colic and passed on. And that was a pretty devastating moment for me. I was very, very attached to that filly. And I didn't get back into horses again for a number of years. You know, I've always loved them from afar. But as I jokingly like to tell when I tell this story is I got back into horses seriously on account of a girl. As in most things, it was a, a girl that uh, I had met um, at a social function. And she said, hey, do you ride horses? And I said, well, of course I do. And realized I hadn't been on a horse in a number of years or around them, really. And decided, well, I need to do something because I need to impress this girl. So I went to a used bookstore and bought every book I could on horses and horsemanship and read them. And that really started my initial journey into becoming a student of the horse. And I was curious uh, about the East Coast, West Coast things. Because you've been on both sides of the country, I was wondering, is there a lot of difference the way people handle their horses as you've seen it in your experience? Yes, very much so. Culturally, it's a very different different feel. From a professional aspect, I find that on the West Coast, almost anybody could hang a shingle and people will come. You know, hey, I'm a new person in the area. Come and check me out. We all kind of say, hey, let's go check out the new thing. Out here on the East Coast, it's very much a, a situation of who you know. And networking is really, really big. Word of mouth is very, very powerful. Everybody wants to know a guy who knows a guy. So from a business standpoint, that was very interesting. I don't see out here east very much what I would call good groundwork, good initiation, good connection. Almost every facility that we've toured um, and done clinics at have amazing round pens and nobody ever uses them or they don't know how to use them. Or they say, well, I don't really lunge my horse. I just kind of get on and ride. And my response is, and you get a very sassy ride, don't you? Well, yeah. I'm like, okay. Then maybe think about connecting with that horse on the ground first. So I'm finding that a lot of our clinics are educational-based. And we're really going back to the foundations with a lot of horses, whether they're hunter-jumper horses or dressage horses, eventing horses, and, of course, again, some, some Western riding horses. So culturally very different. They have a tendency to be a little bit rigid mentally. And you have to really prove what you know and help them kind of see the benefit of combining training. In fact, we just did a a presentation for the Central New York Dressage and Combined Training Association. It was a lot of fun. We really got to explore how general horsemanship helps everybody. Another interesting thing is, you know, on the the West Coast, we see a lot more uh, of the quarter horses. We see a lot more of of Mustangs. We see, you know, the the more of the Western-y type breeds. Out here, it's a lot of large warm bloods, standard breads, saddle breads, off the track thoroughbreds are huge out here. Mm-hmm. Almost every barn we've been to has at least three or four of them. Because where we are here in the in the Hudson Valley, we're near Saratoga, which is of course a huge racing capital, as it were, for the state. And then do you still have your interest in rescue horses? Oh very much so. In fact, on our Facebook page and on our website, we just took in a rescue horse, we were, we're called her Kenna, and she came to us on October 10th. Rescue organization, one state over in the, in the great state of Connecticut, had reached out to us. We did some work with them in the past, and they said, hey, we've, we've got this horse. Here's the situation. And then just kind of laid on us what I would call a horror story. I mean, this horse was labeled as dangerous, and you can't handle it. You couldn't catch it. You can't lunge it. It doesn't load in the trailer. You know, the litany went on and on and on. And I remember sitting at 
at dinner with Teresa and said, no, no, we're not going to go get this horse. There's no way um, because the barn that we train out of predominantly has a therapeutic riding program and there's a lot of special needs individuals there. So you can't have a horse that's dangerous on that property. But we ended up talking with the uh, with the property owner. She goes, well, let's all go take a look. Maybe we can do something with this horse. Maybe we can help it out. And so that's what we did. So we took a three-hour drive to go see this horse. We spent about three hours evaluating it. And the long story short is I, I kept looking at, at the uh, the facility owner going, is this the right horse? Because what I'm seeing is a horse that, yes, has some fear issues and has some definite holes in its foundation, but doesn't seem to really be dangerous or hard to handle, you know, and uh, – in those moments, it's hard to not feel like you're kind of, well, maybe I'm magic. Maybe I can get this done. But she's turned out to be quite a nice horse. And our, our hope is that uh, by March, we're going to be able to start taking her to uh, expos and introducing her to the general public. Oh, very cool. If I understand this right, you're training kind of basic knowledge in horsemanship. You're not going into the, the individual disciplines. What are parts of your program that my listeners would find interesting? I think that, especially out here, because there are so many very specific discipline trainers and training barns. You know, if you want to jump four foot fences, there's places for it. There's a bunch of them. If you want to do, you know, fancy high-end dressage, there's, there's places for it. We're not too far away from some of the best reigning barns and and cutting barns in in the nation out here but what we what we have found is that there's huge gaps everybody wants to you know like that that saying that goes beginners want to do intermediate stuff intermediate folks want to do advanced stuff and advanced people just want to have good basics what we're what we're finding is that there's these huge holes in in people's foundations so we've structured the cooperative horsemanship system especially in most of our our clinics to really focus on what we call the four C's, really establishing a good, solid connection with that horse, building that trust and respect, um, developing those lines of communication that are very clear and easy for the horse to understand, gaining control. So many of the, the folks that we work with in clinics are actually afraid of their horses, and they don't really feel like they have a lot of confidence in them. So we work on developing those partnerships from the hoof up. That being said, I have my, my local students who are very discipline specific and we can apply the the aspects of connection and communication to them improving their performance, whether it's in the show ring or over jumps or, or down the, down the trail. So we kind of tie everything into really improving the overall connection and performance, the trust, the confidence, everything that the horse needs from the human and everything that the human wants to get from the horse that all gets combined so they can apply it to any discipline. What are some of the basics? How do you strengthen that connection? Let's just, we'll just take that as an example. In our program, I really like to, to start with teaching them the four C's, which is connection, communication, control, and confidence. We apply, we like to call equine CPR. We really want to apply the, the, the human being very clear with their horse in mind, body, position, energy, focus, intent, um, and making that horse feel comfortable in that situation. And then to be patient with the horse. I see a lot of folks who, who rush through things and they don't allow the horse time to process the request that is given to them. And then rewarding the horse when they give you an honest try, that we really reward that horse. And as I like to say during my clinics, I want you to love on that horse more than you think you should. And really help that horse to say, hey, listen, every time you try, life gets super easy for you. 
The other principle that we apply that I, I very rarely see, but we're, we're preaching this a lot, is what we call the pyramid of pressure. Our pyramid of pressure, and if you might remember this back in the day, those food charts that we had to learn as kids, right. that had meat, that kind of thing. Well, I envision it as it's a pyramid. It's got the bottom foundation of the pyramid is the big word that says ask. Ask that horse as quietly and softly as you can. Place the request in front of the horse and let the horse figure it out. However, if that horse decides, looks at you and goes, not today, tiny human, well, then we're going to go to tell. And we're going to make that request a little harder to ignore through energy in our body, energy in our cues, energy in our hands. And occasionally, we run into problems where the, the horse says, I'm ignoring your ask, I'm ignoring your tell, and I'm going to go. So now I have to say, okay, I've given you two opportunities to be a lady or a gentleman, so now I'm going to demand of you. And the demand definitely is that opportunity to where most people just dive right into demand. We see this all the time. They never ramp up. And this is a very energetic request. At this point, very, very hard to ignore. At the very top of that pyramid, we have a little word called correction. And we use correction for those horses that we run into that have what we would call dangerous or very unsavory behaviors, whether they're trying to kick or buck you off or bite you. We run into that a lot, a lot of biting horses out here on the East Coast and ways of handling that particular situation. But using this pyramid, allowing the horse to understand that I'm always going to ask you calmly and then I'll, I'll elevate up in my request as needed until I get the answer that I'm looking for. And once I get the answer that I'm looking for, then we go all the way back down to the bottom of the pyramid and we start to ask again. And what happens, and we've seen this very, very clearly with this new rescue horse, that it appears that she's never been asked. You know, So when I ask her to do something, she kind of looks at me like, Are you, is this what you want? And I'm like, yep, that's what I want. And she's like, okay. So two to three asks in, she has it in her mind that, all I have to do to get the reward of, of love and affection and grooming or maybe even a cookie, you know, just a break, is just to do as the guy in the cowboy hat asked me to do. And uh, life gets very easy for it. She's been very, very receptive to that approach. And you don't have to use the pointy end of that pyramid on her at all then? I haven't yet. I honestly haven't yet. I've met a few in my career that, that I've had to, but that is such, it's becoming more and more a rarity. And I honestly think that part of that is, is my personal journey, really developing my awareness of the horse, you know, from nose to tail, from top to bottom, and reading that horse to see exactly what do you need from me to help you. You know, I think that we've all heard the expression, you know, be black and white, no shades of gray. And I agree with that when it comes to the human's clarity of mind. What I've learned and experienced over the years is, that with the horse, there are shades of gray. So I'm going to take a concept and I'm going to apply it slowly and methodically to the horse to figure out what that horse really needs. And when I find what that horse needs, that's where I'm going to start from. What are some of the other basic tools in the toolbox that you provide some of your clinic participants? Depending on the, the clinic focus. You know, we have clinics for the absolute beginners. We have confidence-building clinics. We, we have things like scary obstacles and, and uh, versatile rider clinics and things like that. But what we're, what we're doing, we always come back to collaborative groundwork and cooperative riding. So we hit on those principles that we've kind of talked about where we're going to teach the human how to use the pyramid of pressure. We're going to teach the human how to use equine CPR. We're going to teach the human those leadership skills that they need to help that horse reach its full potential and be successful. We work with through 
things like we have a variety of different exercises that we use, everything from what we call the leadership exercise, stage one and stage two, which is actually simply leading the horse and getting the horse to follow us from the front. We're leading from the front and the horse is following us, keeping a good six to eight feet back away from us and following our lead, but not crowding our space. So many horses out here that we've run into are what would I call space invaders. They're right in your hip pocket or they want to run past you um, when you're going from point A to point B. And we want to keep our, of course, our, our clinic participants safe. We work a lot on backing the horse up with steady pressure through the halter, where we're not yanking or pulling, but we're simply asking softly with pressure across the nose and the pole by lifting with one finger on a clip or the knot of the, of the rope halter and asking this horse to step back. And we're tying in how soft you can be on the ground to how soft you should be when you're under saddle. One of our other favorite exercises is a thing called the five-in-one circle, where we, we look at things like we're going to move the horse forward, we're going to get the horse to stop and yield its hind quarters, we're going to get it to back up, and then we're going to get it to yield its forequarters and go in an opposite direction, all through this systematic communication of pressure and position, things like that, to get the horse to, to listen to what we're doing and really, really just helping that horse understand what's, what's going on. And once they understand that, then the human can guide them effectively. And what we hear across the board is that, oh, my God, my horse is now so light. Why is my horse so soft? Well, your horse has always been light and soft and supple. It just, you just never ask them in the right way. Again, on Facebook page, we've, we've got a whole series of, of videos now, over 90 videos that we put together that walk people through these exercises. So when we hold the clinics, they've had a chance to do some homework know what they're kind of walking into, looking at our teaching style, and then being able to go, oh, yeah, I remember that from the video. Now we're going to do it, you know, for real in person kind of thing. Very cool. Well, it sounds like you've come quite a long way in the, the years since we've seen each other. Was there one or two trainers or clinics that you went to that really impressed upon you some of these horsemanship skills that you're now putting into practice? Oh, very much so. Back when I was in California, I met a, a wonderful woman by the name of Susan Wordworth, and she's got Wordler's Horse Human Partnership. And taking clinics and lessons with her over the years, she was always someone that I considered my, my go-to person. You know, I would run into a problem or I would have questions that, you know, my, my toolbox, I, can't, I don't have the right tool. I could always reach out to Susan and say, hey, you know, I'm running into this problem or this situation. What do you think I should do? And she was always just an amazing communicator. She could read a horse better than almost anybody I've ever met. And she really, really taught me a lot about how to look at horses over, over time. In the recent years, it's been a, a gentleman by the name of, of Scott Perdum of Advantage Horsemanship out of, uh, out of Virginia. I met him years ago when I was working for the Western States Horse Expo, working as their communications director. And we, we got to be friendly during those professional moments. But over time, I you know, attended a few clinics of his, rode with him whenever I could, and uh, we became pretty good friends. In fact, we, we just we got to hang out together at the most recent equine affair in Springfield, Massachusetts. And he's really been a, a, a mentor for me as I've been from the transition from West Coast to East Coast, from me developing my East Coast flavor of my business and the style of horsemanship. His background is English and Western and natural horsemanship for lack of, a, uh, lack of a better term. And he's been really someone who's been very, very influential in my approach to things, really on my communication style, really being able to scale up or down uh, what I'm saying to, feed, to fit the needs of both the horse and the human. 
Very cool. And what plans do you have in 23 coming up? We're right at the end of 2022 here. Yeah, 2023 is going to be a pretty exciting year for me. I'm super, super pumped. One of my other, I guess I could use the word idols. I don't think that would embarrass him too much. Um, I've always been a huge Ken McNabb fan from Ken McNabb Horsemanship. And I've got to know Ken over the years. And back in 2021, he was at um, Equine Affair, watched my presentations, and came over to kind of say, hey, man, I really like what you're doing. You ought to think about coming out and ride with me. And so in June of this year, I'm going to go out to his ranch and spend about three to four weeks riding and training horsemanship and just kind of learning from one of the greats. Because I feel like the things that we do, we can get kind of stale and stagnant. And, and it's always been a challenge for me is my horsemanship improves that I want to ride with some of the best. Right. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, to being in, in, in his presence and riding some of the horses that he has out west there and, and spending that time. So that's really, really exciting. When you go to a, a clinic like that for with Ken McNabb, will you take a particular horse or will you have horses there to work with? How, how do you handle that? We had a, a conversation about that. I really wanted to bring Ronan. I'm like, oh, this would be amazing. Right. And he actually... You know, Michael, what I would suggest for you, for you to get the most out of my program is to leave your good horse at home. You know he's a good horse. You know he's going to do everything that you're going to ask him to do, even if you ask him incorrectly. He said, I want to, I want you to come out. We're going to start colts together. We're going to be working with horses you don't know. And let's really hone those skills, both in horse communication and in human communication, that you're going to need to be successful. And so I was, I'm pretty excited about that, that I'm going to get to ride some of the horses that you see in his diamond, uh, I think it's his diamond McNabb sale, his big ranch horse sale. Right. Um, so that's pretty exciting. And being able to touch that many horses in, in a relatively short period of time. I really think that's the key to learning horsemanship is working with a number of different horses. Uh, I mean, that's how you get good with working with people. You have a lot of personalities that you have to deal with. You learn how to handle them. You make the mistakes on some of them, sure. But then you learn from those mistakes, right? Absolutely. And talking about 2023, we're going to be, uh, we're traveling quite a bit. We're going from Canada to Virginia, out to Kentucky. I just had a conversation with an organization out in Colorado that I had to say, I can't make it in 2023, but 2024, let's do that. And I'm even in some discussions with uh, possibly us going over to the UK and teaching things there. So that's pretty exciting. Very exciting. Our schedule is definitely filling up. Of course, we always have space. We're always trying to make things work. But we have a variety of different types of clinics. We have a one-day clinic, a two-day clinic. Even for our more local people, we have a half-day clinic that works out pretty well. Like I mentioned, Teresa and I have uh, an event coming up in September that we run called Equus Fest East, which has grown from a single one-day celebration of the horse and all things rural lifestyle now into a two-day event. And that's exciting because now we can get the larger vendors, the, the, the bigger names to come in. It's worth it for them to participate with us. And we are you know, really just promoting the, the best in the region, the best in the eastern United States, and, and bringing those... Um, approaches to the masses and it's been it's been quite an exciting exciting time so the yeah the travel opportunities and and where we're going what we're seeing across the country have been pretty pretty exciting stuff awesome and and tell us a little bit about your partner Teresa. 
Oh, I could talk about her all day. I actually met her. <laughs> she's across from me right now, and she's, gonna, she's already blushing. I actually met her at the dude ranch that I was working at. She's the VP of United Way here in Ulster County. She had come to the ranch for a kind of a family vacation. Her niece was very much a horse-crazy teenager. And, you know, she kind of walked up to this guy wearing a cowboy hat doing a demonstration with a, with a horse. And her niece had a bunch of questions. And then Teresa had some questions about, you know, well, how are you promoting yourself? How are you marketing yourself? I said, well, happen to be, you know, the, the new director of marketing here. And she's like, well, let me tell you everything that you're doing wrong <laughs> about marketing. <laughs> and uh, it was spot on right because our owners really didn't have a clue of how to take a business model like this and work both your local markets and then your, your regional and national markets. That kind of started our relationship as it were it was a you know we had this conversation it was really really good and a couple of months later at a social social slash business function we met again and i said i don't know if you remember me and she's like yeah i remember you do you remember me i'm like well of course i'm talking to you and we haven't really looked back since very cool and in that time she's she like like i she's a a very well-educated woman very successful in her career both of us have degrees in marketing and communication i have an mba she's working on her master's right now and together, we've really kind of taken Lucky Star Horsemanship from a side business that it was for many years to really being out there. You know, we're, we're very branded. We've, we've got sponsorships. We've got a product line that comes out working with, we're even in negotiation right now with Team Equine Saddle Pads, working with uh, them being part of, of our operation. So she definitely is a, a novice horse person, but an incredible businesswoman and great with people, wonderful communicator. Being that novice horse person and being that very intelligent businesswoman, she adds a very unique perspective to what we present. You know, right. we talk a lot about that. Like, hey, you know, I might be talking about X, Y, or Z, or how to use a Vozelle or this or that. And I can kind of turn to her and say, as a novice, does that make sense? Or am I explaining that in a, in a manner that makes sense to you? And what issues or problems are you experiencing in your horsemanship that maybe I don't think about anymore being having done this for so many years to, you know, refine what I'm doing. Right. And she's getting to the point now where she can actually, you know, jump right in to help me out at some of these clinics, especially when we're dealing with other novices. She can really come in and say, hey, listen, I've been where you are. You know, I, I listen to what Michael says and I, I go home and I practice these things and I make these mistakes. And I can see that you're kind of in the same boat that I, I'm in. So, you know, let me see if I can put a spin on this that's going to help you understand. And so that's been incredibly beneficial. Yeah, that is. And she can kind of shoot you that look like, uh, hey, you're talking over these people's head or I can see that they're not getting it because I've been there a lot more recently than you have, right? Yeah, or or she will sometimes, you know, I can ramble on like, you know, you and I have had those conversations over, over a frosty beverage and she can go, okay, now you're losing them, or hey, let's think about it from this perspective. And she can give some, some unique anecdotes to her own journey, telling things about what she's experienced or how she thinks about a particular exercise or how she thinks about a particular behavior in the horse from her perspective versus my perspective, which I think gives our, our client participants this Oh, I, I call it kind of a buffet. There's something for everyone. You know, they can choose from a lot of different things. We're big on under-promising and over-delivering, and we're able to do that because of that partnership. Very cool. Well, if people want to find out more about Lucky Star Horsemanship and your schedule coming up in 2023, where shall we send them? 
we can send them to our website, which is www.luckystarhorsemanship, all one word, NY, luckystarhorsemanshipny.com. They can also find us on Facebook at Lucky Star Horsemanship New York. We have our videos up, our schedule up, which is constantly growing. We even have an Instagram account, and you can find us on YouTube. Awesome. That's very cool. Well, this has been a lot of fun, Michael. It's really been a, a journey for me personally to uh, take my passion and uh, something I've always been very passionate about. And for a lot of years, you know, you heard people say, oh, well, you can't, you know, you can't do that kind of thing, or you can't, you know, you can't or you shouldn't, or that really, you know, how can you make a living doing that? And being able to really come out of my personal comfort zone as a business person and a horseman and really shake things up, challenge myself, and then get to this point where we're traveling all over and we're friends with some of the bigger names in the industry, doing the things that we're doing has, has really been exciting. So I would tell anyone out there that if, if you're passionate about this, don't give up. Don't don't let that, what I call the mean mirrors, don't let the mean mirrors take you down. Just keep driving yourself forward, keep educating yourself, and keep having fun with it because if you're not having fun with horses, why do it? Absolutely. Good advice. Good advice. Well, I'm glad to see that you've been so successful and that you've carried on with your passion. And I wish you all the best in the future. And hopefully we're, we should, hopefully we're getting out to California here pretty soon. And when I do, we're going to get together and do some rides. That'd be great. Love to do that. That will do it for this episode. Thanks to Michael Canfield and Lucky Star Horsemanship for spending time with us today. It's great to see a friend succeeding at his passion. Check out all Lucky Star Horsemanship has to offer at luckystarhorsemanshipny.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. The links to their website and contact info are on wopodcast.com. As we enter our 11th year, with over 250 episodes published and listeners in over 100 countries around the world, we want to say thank you for coming along for the ride. We've had a great time. As we look back on 2022, we hope you had a great year and a wonderful holiday season. Now it's the start of 2023 and we have big plans. Have you set your horsemanship goals yet? What do you have planned for 2023? If you'd like to share a story or experience about your horse or suggest a guest, let's hear it. Send an email to john at wopodcast.com or connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram under the name Woe Podcast. It's always great to hear from you. Thanks again for listening and sharing the podcast with your friends and riding buddies. Until next time, for Renee, this is John Harris saying, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.